We are so glad that you are here with us this morning for our pre-Thanksgiving weekend. So maybe you're making preparations for Thanksgiving week and uh, you're getting ready for uh, all those festivities. And um, I know we've got so many of our people that are, are traveling out of town. They've already left for the week. Uh, maybe you're, you're tuning in live and so we're glad that you're with us uh, tuning in from Grandma's house or wherever you are right now. And, um, and maybe there's some of you that are in town visiting with us. Maybe you're visiting Grandma or maybe you are in town from college or whatever. And so we are glad that you are in the room with us this morning. And so I don't know if your kids are like my kids. Th- school is out, right? So they're already hype and a little bit crazy and looking forward to this week. And so looking forward to this week, not only because it's Thanksgiving, but I just want to make an announcement to everybody this morning that it is now acceptable for you to start celebrating Christmas. All right. So go at it. All right, so all of you that have had your tree up since September, or you crazy people that have been listening to Christmas music year-round, that is a major party foul. We're going to put you in timeout. But now it's acceptable. So listen to all the Christmas music you want. Put up your tree. Whatever you want to do, uh, it's now okay. All right, so we good? We're on the same page. And uh, we are, our family has already gotten started on the whole Christmas stuff. So we started setting up our decorations yesterday. And on Friday night, we took our kids to go see the new Grinch movie. So I don't know if you have seen that yet. I won't ruin it for you or tell you how it ended. Uh, But it was good. Our kids loved it. It was very funny. And uh, we're watching the movie. And at the same time, I'm sitting there thinking, man, this isn't really like the original. It doesn't really compare to the original. So I don't know if you're like me, grew up watching the old one based off the book. And even as we were asking our kids coming out of the movie theater, hey, did you like that? Yeah, yeah. Which one did you like better? And they were like, I think we like the old one better. And so I thought that was kind of the same, the same for me. And, and so part of me started thinking, man, how many other movies are like that where the sequel or the remake isn't really as good as the original, right? It's very rare that you can find the remake that's better than the original. And there are some exceptions, but for the most part, the original always seems to be better. For example, Rocky. Now, there have been a lot of Rocky movies, right? There's Creed 2 that's coming out this week. Some have been good, some have not been so good. But nothing compares to the original Rocky, right? Now, full disclosure, I'm a little bit partial to Rocky 5, the whole Russian one. And I know some people didn't like that very much, but come on, he single-handedly stopped the Cold War. <laughs> like, that's pretty impressive, right? But nothing compares to Rocky 1. Or what about Jaws, right? So... Jaws, when that movie came out in 1975, it put fear in the hearts of millions of beach-going Americans who all of a sudden thought, I'm not sure I want to get in the water this afternoon, right? And then Jaws 2 came out and it was like, eh. But then, and then don't even get me started on Jaws 3. That was pretty terrible. And there have been other shark movies that have come out over the years, but nothing compares to the original Jaws. Or what about Jurassic Park? Right? You've got the first three that came out a few years ago. And then over the last few years, they've had some other ones that have come out that have been pretty good. But nothing compares to the original Jurassic Park, the very first one. And then there is my all-time favorite movie, the greatest movie of all time, Oscar-nominated, Oscar-award-winning movie, Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> right? Come on. So there's not a day that goes by probably that Brad Chandler, our middle school pastor, or I are not making some kind of quote or reference to Dumb and Dumber, which probably tells you all you need to know about us. 
probably not a good thing. But over the years, they tried to come out with some, you know, remakes or whatever. And it just, even the one a couple years ago, we had all this anticipation. And it just wasn't the same. Nothing was the same as the original Dumb and Dumber. And so a lot of movies are like that. But then I started thinking, not, it's not just limited to movies. Like there's a lot of other things where just because it's new doesn't mean that it's better. For example, appliances. Right? I mean, if you're old enough in the room or you had that fridge growing up for like 25 years and that thing just kept ticking. And nowadays with all the bells and whistles and everything, I mean, you're lucky to get six or eight years out of a new appliance. My family just a couple years, within the last couple years, just got a new fridge, stainless steel, like it looks all nice. And yet the ice maker's already starting to go bad on it. Right? And when they say they don't make it like they used to, they're probably talking about things like appliances. Or what about when you think through Coke Classic? All right, so the example of Coke. The company of Coke, in April of 1985, they said, hey, for the first time in our 100-year history, let's come up with a new version of Coke. And so they got together and for a period of years created this new version. They're all excited. They roll it out to the public. And within a few months, they're getting 1,500 phone calls a day from people that are begging them to give, bring back the old Coke. And so by July of 1985, they've re-released Coke, the old Coke, and called it Coke Classic. And then they eventually got rid of the new version of Coke altogether. There's companies all the time that are trying to rebrand themselves. They're coming up with new slogans. They're coming up with new graphics, new logos. And sometimes that can quickly backfire and they end up going back to the original, the old version that they had in the good old days. And I think there's some of us in the room this morning that that's what we want. We want the good old days, right? Bring back the good old days where there was no social media, right? Bring back the good old days where we stayed outdoors all day long until mom or dad came out on the porch and called us in for dinner, right? We want the good old days where we walked uphill to school both ways, (laughs) where we didn't need common core to solve math problems and where... Men didn't wear skinny jeans. (laughs) And I realize that I'm wearing skinny jeans as I make that statement. Don't make fun of me. So that's sometimes what we want. We want the good old days back, right? And just because it's new doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. So we're in this series called Greater where we're looking through the book of Hebrews And the writer of Hebrews is talking to a Jewish audience who is very partial to the good old days, to the old way of living. And so the old way of living that this Jewish audience is used to, it was a covenant that had been handed down by God himself to Moses way back early on in their history. At Mount Sinai, right after they were delivered out of Egypt. And so this old way, this old covenant, it was a way to be made right with God. And it was the way to live in relationship with God. And so for thousands of years, they had revered this way of living. And so when the writer of Hebrews, in particular in Hebrews chapter eight, starts calling that into question, it probably ruffled some feathers. It probably made some people upset in the audience when they first heard it. And not only does Hebrews chapter 8 call the old way into question, but the writer actually says that Jesus came and provided a new way, a new covenant that is far greater than the old covenant. 
In fact, this old way that God provided Moses was really just a symbol of this new and greater way. And so this new covenant, this new way of being made right with God is something that is available to you and me every single day. And yet sometimes we can find ourselves like that Jewish audience trying to still live according to the old way. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and open to Hebrews chapter 8. That's where we're going to be studying for the next few minutes. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. And so you can slip your hand up. Our host team will walk around and give you a Bible that you can have and uh, you can use for our, our time here over the next few minutes. So Hebrews chapter 8, we're going to pick up in verse 6. And here's what the writer says. He says, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So now under this old way that God had provided Moses and the Israelites, what would happen is once a year, the people would bring their sin offerings to the high priest. And so the high priest at the temple served as a mediator, right? As a bridge between God and the people. And so they would bring their sin offerings to the high priest. And so he would go to God on their behalf and he would offer a sacrifice for their sins. And they would be forgiven and made right with God. And so then the people would leave the temple and they would do their best. They would try their hardest to follow in God's commands over that next year. And that was the old way of living. And the idea was, hey, do what's right and love and obey God. And you will receive the blessings of God. But if you disobey, if you fail to follow after me, then you will miss out on my blessings. And there are some of us, as we hear that now, like that isn't so much of an old way. We still find ourselves living in that way today. Where we're trying hard to obey God and to be good enough so that God will accept us. But that was a faulty system and it didn't fully do what it was meant to do. And so in verse 7 of chapter 8, the writer says, If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. And so the reason that old covenant didn't work is because Israel proved that people were incapable of upholding their end of the bargain. Right? There's a reason why God set up this sin offering every year. For the people, because he knew they'd be back. He knew they'd have to do it all over again. And so the forgiveness that was provided for the people was only temporary. So Israel had to be perfect in their obedience, and they proved over and over again that they couldn't do it. So they would make claims that they loved God and that He was their God and that they were going to follow after Him and walk in obedience to Him. But in reality, they were just empty promises that they couldn't back up. Have you ever had people in your life like that? That they tell you what you want to hear. And maybe it's sincere in that. But over and over again, by the way that they live, they prove that you don't really matter much to them. That something or someone else is much more important to them than you are. And what do you and I typically do in situations like that? We cut them out of our lives, right? We move on without them. And it's a really great thing that God doesn't treat us the way that you and I treat people sometimes. Because God could have cut us out of our lives. He could have 
or his life. He could have chosen to move on and he wouldn't have been wrong to do it. But this is all part of God's plan. This is part of what God is doing. And what God wants to do is provide something bigger and better in store that's going to be greater than the old way. And so God comes along and he provides for us a new covenant. And so the writer of Hebrews starts quoting what God says in Jeremiah 31 in the Old Testament where he's foreshadowing what he's going to do as part of this new covenant. And here's what he says in Hebrews 8, starting verse 10. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never again remember their sins. So this new covenant that God now provides involves Jesus doing the work for us. And so Jesus enters a picture and kind of symbolically as part of that old covenant, that old system, Jesus steps in as our high priest. And the sacrifice that he makes on our behalf for our sins is himself. So Jesus sacrifices himself so that you and I could be forgiven. And because Jesus was holy and blameless, that sacrifice, that offering that he made was permanent. There was no need for that to be made over and over again. And as a result of what Jesus does, God says that he will never again remember our sins. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so immediately Jesus does for us through the new covenant what thousands of years under the old covenant could never do. And that's make us perfect in God's sight. I love this quote by Oswald Chambers. He says, think what faith in Jesus Christ claims. That he, Jesus, can present us faultless before the throne of God. Unutterably pure, absolutely rectified, and profoundly justified. So stand in implicit adoring faith in him, for he has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And there's a whole lot of big words in that quote that makes us look really smart at a party. But that speaks into the power of what Jesus can do. So when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, God takes broken, wretched sinners and he turns us into the righteousness of God. So he meets us where we are in the midst of our junk, in the midst of our struggles. And he makes us into something you and I could never be on our own. And that's perfect in the sight of God. And so this new covenant that God provides us gives us this gift of new purity that makes us right with himself through Jesus. And so we look at that and we go, man, the new covenant is better than the old covenant. But God's saying, I'm just getting started. Like that's not the only thing I'm going to give to you. As great as this gift of new purity is for you to make you right in my sight, there is so much more that I'm going to do for you as part of this new covenant. 
I'm going to give you three additional gifts that's now going to provide for you a new system of living. And so not only am I going to give you a new purity, but I'm also going to give you a new identity. And what that means for you and me is that we are no longer who we used to be. We're no longer sinners. We're no longer enemies of God. But now you and I are somebody that we've never been before. We are saints. We are sons and daughters of God. And because of what Jesus has done, we now become God's people as our identity on a permanent basis. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new creation, a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. But then God says, I'm not done yet. Not only am I going to give you a new purity, not only am I going to give you a new identity, but now I'm going to give you a new desire. And so what God does is he places a new heart inside of us. He writes his law on our hearts and he changes us from the inside. And he places his Holy Spirit inside of us. And with that comes a new desire and a passion to love and obey him. Do you have one of those stories where when you came to faith in Jesus and all of a sudden you found this desire to know more about God? You started wanting to understand more and and know God more and, and it was something that really hadn't maybe been there before. And so all of a sudden you found this new desire for, for God and the things of God. And that's a gift that God has placed inside of you through the Holy Spirit as a part of this new covenant. And so you and I no longer have to force ourselves to do things that we don't want to do because now God has placed his spirit inside of us and we can love and walk with him because the Holy Spirit lives in us. But God says, I'm still not done. There's still one more thing I'm I'm going to provide for you. So not only am I going to give you new purity and a new identity, not only am I going to give you a new desire, Because what's the point of having a desire to obey God if you don't feel like you've got the power to live it out? So in Philippians 2.13, Paul's talking about this new life and he's saying God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And so this last gift that God gives us as part of this new covenant, this new system of living, is he gives us the gift of new power. And so now because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have the power every single day to overcome sin and temptation and to love and to follow after Jesus. And it's not even a power that sometimes can make the difference. But the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in you and me because of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, Paul says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And so this new covenant, it really is greater than the old covenant. And just to make sure that you and I fully understand the power of this, Under the old covenant, God says, do these things and you will be forgiven temporarily. But under the new covenant, God says, Jesus has made you forgiven permanently. 
Under the old covenant, God says you are a guilty sinner. But under the new covenant, God says Jesus has called you a saint. Under the old covenant, God says, love me. But under the new covenant, God says, here's the desire to love me. Under the old covenant, God says, obey me. But under the new covenant, God says, here's the power to obey me. Under the old covenant, God says, be righteous and you will experience my blessings. But under the new covenant, God says, Jesus became your righteousness. So please experience my blessings. See, under the old covenant is all about people demonstrating what they could do for God. It was all about works. But under the new covenant, it's about God demonstrating what he can do for and through people. It is all about God's grace. It's all about his grace. And so maybe the natural question that we think is, so why didn't God just do this in the first place? Right? Why set up this old covenant in the first place if it wasn't going to be enough? I think part of the reason is because God had to show us that Jesus was going to be the only way. Because otherwise we would try to figure out another way. Or we would try to do it ourselves. And let's be real. I mean, we have that Old Testament example of the Israelites trying to live out the old covenant and showing how impossible it was. And yet we still try to earn right standing with God. Because the biggest barrier to us living in the new covenant is us. It's us. And God knew he had to save us from ourselves. Because there's still within us that tendency to want to go back to the old way. To try to be good enough. To try to honor God on our own. To feel like we have to perform in order to be accepted by God. And we will never experience the joy of the new covenant as long as we're still trying to live out the old covenant. So my wife and I first met at a summer camp, uh, a lot like Rush, uh, many years ago. And uh, I had just finished my freshman year at Liberty University and she, unlike what Pastor Brian will sometimes say to make me look bad, she was not still in high school. She had just graduated high school, all right? It's a big difference. And so we met that week and we actually took this picture on the last night of camp that week. Oh, how sweet. We look the same, exactly the same. So we met, took that picture and back in the good old days, right? We didn't have social media at that time. Uh, I, we didn't even own a cell phone, which shows you how old we are now. And, uh, and so we met in June and she was gonna be coming to Liberty in August. And so we took that picture and over the course of that summer, the way that we communicated back and forth to each other was by writing letters, which is really fun to go back and read those letters and see how lame and in love we were or whatever. But to, to pull back those letters and we would have some phone calls on occasion over that summer, but it was primary writing letters to each other. And so I had this picture and over the course of that summer, there were times where I would forget exactly what she looked like. And so I would pull out that picture to remember. But it also helped me look forward to that fall when we would be together. And so when she ended up getting to school a couple of months later, I didn't need that picture anymore because I had her. 
But how crazy would it have been if she finally got to school and we could finally be together and spend time together. And I was like, no, you know what? That's cool. I've got your picture. So I'll just hang on to this and I'll stare at it. And we can still write letters back and forth. That'd, that'd be kind of cool. And A, that would be stupid. And B, she'd be like, deuces, I'm out of here. Go find another guy. Because that picture was just a symbol of something greater. Our relationship. It was never meant to replace the real thing of being with her. And when you and I try to live out the old covenant and still try to earn God's favor, it's like choosing that picture over the real thing. Because now Jesus is with us and through the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And so you and I no longer need the picture. We've got the real thing and it's way better. And so you and I can stop trying to jump through religious hoops. We can stop trying to be good enough on our own. We don't have to keep trying every single day to live in obedience to God's commands in our own strength and power. Because the grace of God has been poured out on us through Christ to rescue us from the old way and to point us to a new and a greater way. So through the new covenant, Jesus provides a permanent way to be made right with God and to live every day in freedom and in power. So how do we actually go about living out this new covenant? Well, the starting point for all of us is putting our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior. To receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers us through our faith in Him. So if you've never come to a place where you've made that decision, where you've never trusted Jesus, you've never made that decision to follow after him, then you can do that this morning right where you sit. By admitting your sin and your need for God and asking him to make you right with himself through what Jesus did for you. Maybe there's some of us in the room this morning, we think, you talk about some of those gifts, like gift of desire and power and And honestly, I look at my life and I don't really see much of a desire to know and to love God. And I definitely don't see much of any kind of supernatural power. I feel like maybe my life is more defined by my struggles and and kind of those constant areas of sin that I can't seem to get over. If we find ourselves in a place like that, it could mean one of two things. Either maybe that gift of new desire and power isn't evident in our life because we've never taken that step of salvation. We never put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. And so those gifts have never been made available to us because we don't belong to Jesus yet. But maybe if we have taken that step and yet we still don't see that evidence in our life, it may mean that even though God has given us that desire and placed that power inside of us, but maybe the desire and the cares for other things in our life have pushed those beneath the surface. So it's a matter of asking, God, would you renew that desire and that passion for you and me? Because it's not something I can force myself to do. God, I need you to supernaturally bring that desire forward. May it override everything else that's in my life. Maybe when it comes to lacking that power in our life, maybe it's because we're trying to do things in our own strength and power. Maybe we're trying hard enough. We're trying to be good enough. 
And yet it just leads to more frustration than anything else. And our success or failure as a Christian now under this new covenant is about surrender. It's about dependence. It's about dying to ourselves and allowing God to live through us through his Holy Spirit's power. And so maybe it's about asking God, God, would you bring that power about in my life? Help me to stop depending on my own strength. And God, would you empower me to live out this life that you've called me to? To help us remember this new covenant and what Jesus did for us on the cross, we're commanded to take part in communion. And so on the night before Jesus is about to become the payment for our sins, the sacrifice for our sins, that perfect offering. Jesus is eating dinner with his disciples. And at one point he stands up before the disciples and he takes the bread that they're eating. He says, hey guys, this, this bread, this represents my body that's about to be broken for you. And he takes that wine that they're drinking and he, he says, and this, this represents my blood that's about to be shed on the cross for you tomorrow. Then he commands the disciples and he commands us as followers of his that to help us remember this new covenant that he's establishing. That we take part in communion, that we remember his body that was broken and his blood that was shed on the cross for us so that you and I could be made right with God. So on the way in the room this morning, you were handed a communion packet can already hear you getting it ready. And so there is a little piece there on the top that you can peel back and there's a wafer in there that represents the body of Jesus. And there is a little bit of juice in here that represents the blood of Jesus. And so not yet, but in just a minute, we're gonna take communion together. But this is a, a really important thing that God has established for believers, for us who have made that decision to follow after Jesus. And so before we take part in this together, we're gonna give you just a moment of just talking and communicating to God. And so maybe if you've never come to a place in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, like I mentioned, what a great opportunity for you to do that here in this moment. For you to receive the forgiveness that Jesus is standing there waiting to give you, that he paid a great price with his life to offer you. And he's saying, stop trying on your own to be good enough. The work is finished. And if you'll just accept me as your savior, and I will change your heart and make you a new person. So if you take that step in this moment, then what a great first step as a new Christ follower to take part in communion with the rest of us. Maybe we've taken that step in our faith, but maybe there's unconfessed sin in our life. Maybe we've tried hard enough in our own strength to earn God's favor, to earn God's forgiveness. Maybe we've tried to overcome sin in our own life. Maybe there's just areas of our life where we've walked in the room just really struggling with sin. And it's a chance for us just before we celebrate these elements that we just confess that to God. Maybe this moment is just a chance for us to say, God, thank you. God, I don't deserve this. And who am I that you would pour out your love for me? God, would you just all over again, renew my understanding and my love 
and acceptance and my just appreciation for what you've done for me. So would you just take just a moment, just you and God, and then I'll pray for us and then we'll take part in communion together. God, we are people in this room this morning who don't deserve for a moment what you have done for us. God, the people who appreciate the cross the most are the ones who realize how desperately they need it. God, thank you that you have come along and that old way, that old covenant was really just a shadow, a symbol of this new and greater way of being made right with you and not because of what we can do for you, but because of what you have done for us. God, I pray for those of us in the room who have, our lives have more been marked by us, our own effort, our own strength, us trying to earn something from you that we could never earn. God, help us to rest and just freely accept the gift that you've given us because of your goodness and your love. God, I pray that we may walk out of this room experiencing this new covenant, this new way of living. God, that you may empower us through your Holy Spirit inside of us to desire you, to walk with you, to have the power to overcome sin and not only to overcome sin, but to live out these commands that you've given us as your people. And so God, in this moment, as we take part in communion, may it be a reminder for us that you make us worthy, that you call us your own, that the work is finished and you have sat down at the right hand of God the Father. God, thank you for what you've done for us. And we celebrate that together this morning. In Jesus' name.